0: Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to let you know that my latest book, Dwell on These Things, is now available in stores and online. The book is a 31-day challenge to talk to yourself like God talks to you. And if you're up for that kind of challenge, I think you'll find the book helpful. I think now is a great time for us to replace feelings of discouragement with a sense of God's goodness, to practice seeing ourselves in the loving way God sees us, To exchange negative self talk for gospel saturated truth, and to learn to face each day with hope in our hearts. There's a link to the book in this episode's description, and if you want to take a sneak peek at the first three chapters, just head over to desirejesus.com and take a look. You're listening to the Dwell on These Things podcast, a regular dose of Christ centered encouragement to put your mind in a better place. Listen in as Pastor John Stongey shares Bible studies, interviews, training, and some of his most recent sermons. We're glad to have you with us today. The past group of weeks, we've been, we've been looking at uh, a variety of things from scriptures. We've been talking about um, just the idea of what it looks like to recognize that God can make great use of of each of us. And I think that there's a lot of uh, doubt that we as believers sometimes wrestle with. We think that God only makes use of or only um, does great things through people who seem to be people of renown, that the Lord doesn't somehow use regular people like us. And yet when you look at what Scripture tells us, Scripture makes it very clear that the Lord has called and equipped each and every one of us. If we have trusted in Jesus Christ The Holy Spirit lives within us. He indwells us. He gifts us. He empowers us. He gives us wisdom. And there's a calling on our life. And you and I could go through our lives basically telling ourselves, I'm not called. Somebody else is called. I'm not called. Or we could say, you know what, Lord, you have gifted me in particular ways and you've given me opportunity to use these gifts to glorify your name and to to serve people. And so instead of talking ourselves out of using the gifts that the Lord's given to us, what would it look like if we start saying, like, why not me? Why not me? The same God that equips other believers has equipped me, so why not me? So we've been talking about what it looks like to actually answer the calling of God on your life over the course of the past few months. We've had had the opportunity to do that. And today we're going to talk about something that I think in many respects it probably doesn't sound like like a uh, a, a super uh, exciting topic like the idea of denying yourself and yet when you look at what scripture actually tells us about it there's a great blessing in this concept of denying yourself now what do i mean by that what's scripture getting at when it talks about this idea of denying yourself well there's multiple places in scripture that describe this But I selected for us today 2 Corinthians chapter 5 to kind of illustrate this concept for us. So if you would, take your Bibles and turn there with me. In 2 Corinthians 5, we're going to start with verse 11. And uh, I'm just going to read down to verse 15. 2 Corinthians 5, starting with verse 11, as we kind of really dig in here to this idea of denying yourself and what that looks like in a very practical way. Starting with verse 11 of 2 Corinthians 5, it says this, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God... If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died, and he died for all. And those who live might live, excuse me, and those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your blessings, and thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to start off our week looking at this portion of Scripture and really wrestling with this idea of what does it mean to deny myself? What does it mean for us to deny ourselves? As your followers, Lord, this is something that you encourage us to do, and we see an example of this here in the Apostle Paul's instruction to the church at Corinth that we know that you want us to apply to our day-to-day lives, but Lord, we also know it's not the type of thing that we would naturally feel inclined to do. It's also not the type of thing that we can do in our own strength or in our own power. If we try and do this in our own power, it becomes legalism. But if we if we do this in such a way that we give you glory, we can rely on your power and realize that you're the one who sustains us as we seek to actually live out the calling that you've placed on our lives. So Lord, we pray that you give us your wisdom, we pray that you give us your discernment as we look at this portion of your word together, and we commit this time to your care, and pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. So as I mentioned just a moment ago, this whole concept of denying yourself and what that looks like, it probably doesn't sound, to mo- uh, sound appealing to most people at first. I wouldn't, certainly wouldn't expect it to. It, it sounds hard, it may sound unappealing, and it certainly doesn't sound like the type of thing that we would describe as fun. But it's also the type of thing that we as believers, we learn to celebrate, even though it's not what the world typically celebrates. And I I have to say, it's kind of ironic in some respects that we're looking at this topic this week, particularly when I think back over the course of this past week, because I had the opportunity to do something that in many respects I look at and I think, well, that doesn't really fall into the category of denying myself. Uh, Many of you know that um, that my sisters and I are are uh, very close, and uh, we all have a great love for Kenobel's Amusement Resort. So I don't know if you've ever been there. It's like basically a country fair that never left town. If you've never been there, it's like it's an amusement park, but it's it's more country fair than amusement park. But it's also amusement park. And uh, I know some of you have have really gravitated toward it as well. And I realized I was like, it is almost August. And I have not yet spent a full day there. And I'm like, this has got to be remedied. This has got to be changed. And so over the past group of weeks, I've been looking for just the right day. And I realized that Thursday of this past week was the right day. And so I reached out to my sisters and I said, listen, my kids are all old now and they're all working and they can't join me for, for uh, you know, a visit to the park, but all your kids are still little. So all my, li- my nieces and nephews, they're all still little. And I said, we, we should totally meet up on Thursday at Knoebels. What do you guys think? And at first, my one sister said, yes, I'm in. And my other sister said, oh, I can't. And I said, you won't rearrange your schedule. You won't. It's Knoebels. And uh, she said, you know what? I can't be there in the morning, but I could be there in the afternoon. I was like, good enough. And so we all met up there and uh, it was a lot of fun. And my nieces and nephews were all excited because some of them are getting old enough now to ride some of the bigger rides. And they were excited that Uncle Johnny was going to ride all the rides with them. And so I did that all day. I felt very tired at the end of the day. Because typically when I go to the park now, I don't really ride a ton of the rides. I actually just walk through and I do what what locals refer to as like the food tour. You know, you just do, like you take the eating tour through it. And so I tried to combine on Thursday all the fun rides that my nieces and nephews wanted me to go on with them, with all the foods that I wanted to eat. And I didn't deny myself anything as I went through it. And I was like, you're preaching on denying yourself on Sunday. And this is what my diet consisted of on Thursday. I promise you, this is not my everyday diet, but it certainly was on Thursday. I got to the park. They were getting tickets. So I thought, well, let's start with food. And I went over to the potato pancakes stand. I don't know if you know what those are, but find out and eat them because they're really good. And uh, and so I got three of those, and I was like, cool. Then I went and found my family, and then soon after that, I got the newest addition that they added to the menu at one of their restaurants, which is the garlic butter bacon burger. And I don't know if that sounds delicious to you or weird to you, but I promise you, if you like those four individual ingredients that I just listed there, they work together great. So I got that, followed by pierogies. Followed by, this is my real diet on Thursday. This is why I'm so happy right now, by the way. It carries over a few days. Followed by funnel cake. Followed by an iced tea slush. Followed by trying to drive home with all of that in my stomach. And it's an almost three-hour drive. (laughs) And I I was like, you know what? I'm just so happy and tired at the same time. But uh, at, at the same time, it was fun. There wasn't a single menu item that I wanted that I didn't get throughout the course of the day. And then you come to the concept that's mentioned here in 2 Corinthians 5. And I'm reminded in a very real way that when you look at the deeper issues here, that this concept of denying ourself is actually a very major part of our spiritual maturity. But it's not really what we gravitate toward. Right? I mean, even my own life, when you look at a day in the park, now that's, I guess you could say, an exception. But in some respects, I don't even think of it as an exception because I don't think that, naturally speaking, we have a habit of denying ourselves even on a normal day. I think this is something that the Lord has to impress upon our heart a desire to understand because it's part of Christian maturity, it's part of what it looks like to follow Jesus. So if I'm going to call myself a disciple of Christ, what it means to deny myself, it's not just like this idea of avoiding your favorite foods. That's not the deeper level concept. The deeper level concept is I can't be living for myself. I can't be living for myself. If I'm, going to, if I'm going to be a disciple of Christ, I can't be living for myself. I'm called to live for him while serving others in his name. You're called to live for him while serving others in his name. That's his calling on our life. So again, how does this relate to the overall calling and the gifting that the Lord's given you? If you're seeking to be obedient to the desires and dreams and and calling that God has placed upon your heart, how could you begin denying yourself so that you could live for him in present day? What does that look like? Well, look at some of the examples that the Apostle Paul gives us in this portion of Scripture. What are some of the things that he's actually encouraging us to deny or to avoid? Well, when you look at verse 11, one of the things that he points out to us here is this idea of denying your worldly fears and replacing them with the fear of the Lord. Deny your worldly fears. Replace them with the fear of the Lord. What does that mean? Let me reread verse 11. It says this. It says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience." I love that verse, and I love what Paul's trying to communicate there as he's speaking about this concept of the fear of the Lord. I doubt that any of us jump up and down at, with excitement at the idea of fear. I know, um, I don't know, have you ever driven on this street right out here in front of the church any given evening? You ever driven on this street? Yeah, Mark and Marie, I see their heads nodding. Many of you saying, yeah, what do you notice when you're driving on this street later in the evening? It's deer everywhere, right? Everywhere. There's deer all over the place. Well, several years ago, a friend of ours who lives in Bermuda came and visited and, and was here in the area for a period of time. And uh, we were giving her a ride back to where she was staying in Newtown. And it was in the evening, and this road was lined with deer on both sides. And we're just driving as we're going down the road. And she said, Oh my goodness, there's deer everywhere. And she started panicking. And I was like, Well, they live here too. Why are you panicking? And she said, Aren't you afraid that they're going to jump out into the road? And I said, Well, I'm watching them, but I'm not afraid that they're going to jump out into the road because they're eating. Their heads are down. If their heads were up, then I might be fearful, but their heads are down, so they're probably not going to move. But we're not driving that fast. She's like, yeah, we don't have deer like that in Bermuda. It's like, well, welcome to Pennsylvania. You have everything else in paradise, so let us enjoy our deer, right? Don't criticize our deer. We don't criticize your paradise. But she was genuinely fearful going on this stretch as we were headed toward Newtown, right here in front of the church. It brought up fear. And when you look at what Paul's talking about here, he talks about fear. He brings up fear in these verses here, in verse 11 specifically. And here he's talking about this idea of the fear of the Lord. And he says something that I think is kind of interesting about it because he expresses that he knows, or what he means is that he's well acquainted with that fear. He says, I'm well acquainted, I, I know that fear. You know, knowing therefore knowing the fear of the Lord is how he phrases it here. So what's Paul talking about? What's he referencing when he talks about this idea of being well acquainted with that fear or knowing that fear? Is Paul encouraging us to be people who are afraid of God? Is that the concept he's trying to convey? Or is there a more precise meaning to what he's trying to describe here? Well, the concept that Paul's trying to bring up here in this portion of Scripture is synonymous with the idea of having a healthy reverence or a healthy respect for somebody else. So that's the kind of fear that he's talking about here. It's the type of fear that you have as a child for an older relative, it's a, or, a, you know, for, for your parents. That kind of healthy fear. It's a reverence, it's a respect. I remember about 20 years ago, I had the opportunity to meet a former vice president. And I actually had the opportunity to shake his hand and say hello to a former vice president. Well, here's the thing. When you meet a former vice president, they still convey a lot of authority. There is still secret service surrounding them all over the place. And, you know, you know I, I was given permission to greet him and to shake his hand. And, um, and I wasn't afraid that he was going to hit me or injure me. I wasn't even afraid that the secret service agents that were surrounding him were going to do anything like that, but I had a healthy fear for the person that I was interacting with, meaning a, a respect, you know, a reverence you could say, a respect for somebody that had that kind of authority. I didn't want to step out of line. I didn't want to do something that would that would make the secret service feel cautious or something like that. Although I will tell you this, it's kind of funny. Our oldest child was a baby at the time, and and, uh, we were holding her, and you know how babies sometimes their legs just start wiggling? And she kind of went like this and kind of pumped her legs and kicked a Secret Service agent. I kid you not. And he turned around and sees it's a baby, and so he was kind of all, you know, fine. But it it was very interesting. But even in that moment, you know, reverence, respect pulled the child away from kicking a Secret Service agent but I wasn't afraid. And it's a big difference between being afraid and having that kind of healthy fear, that reverence and respect that Paul's talking about here. And so Paul talks about knowing the fear of the Lord, having a deep reverence, a deep respect for Him, and that's a very healthy mindset for us to have. It's a very healthy way for us to live, because practically speaking... You can tell a lot about a person and a lot about the nature of their faith in Jesus Christ by whether or not they have a healthy fear of him, a healthy reverence for him. You can see that in the manner they choose to live. So I can tell you that I love Jesus. I could tell you that I follow Jesus. But if I don't demonstrate a healthy reverence for him in the manner in which I live, I really don't expect you to believe what I'm saying. That's what demonstrates that a person actually trusts him. That's what demonstrates that a person actually believes him and has that reverence for him. It's demonstrated in the way we conduct ourselves in this world as an expression of genuine faith. So if I care more about the temptations of this world Then I care about showing the Lord respect and honor, then my life is going to reflect that. But that's not what it means to live in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is described for us in Proverbs chapter 9. Let me read it here. Here it says this, The fear of the Lord is the the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Do you ever wonder why so many people spend their lives just going through this world deeply confused and puzzled, and not having a strong sense of calling, and not having a strong sense of understanding the Lord's will for them, or anything like that. Typically, in a context like that, if you take a look, a close look at their day-to-day life, you'll discover something. And one of those things that you're probably going to discover is that they're not really walking very closely with the Lord to begin with. Because Scripture tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. You understand yourself better, you understand him better, you understand his will for you better when you live in obedience to him as the expression of your faith. But if you spend your life basically pushing God off or keeping him at a distance, you're also guaranteeing that you're going to go through your life confused and most likely depressed. Now, I have to tell you, it's one of my life goals, it's one of the chief aims of my life to encourage others to trust Christ and to follow him. So every Sunday, I stand up here in front of our church family, and I try to persuade people to give their lives to Christ. And if I could persuade you to do that very thing, please allow me to do so. I know ultimately it's the Holy Spirit that does that persuasion, but I try, right? I stand up in front of our church family and try and persuade people. I I write things, I write books, I write blog posts, I record podcasts, I do all sorts of things that I'm, I post on social media with regularity, trying to use whatever tools the Lord's entrusted to me to encourage people to know Jesus and follow him. And many of you do the very same things. You know, many of us are doing this. And in addition to that, our daily conversations and the interactions we have with the people in our day-to-day life, we're trying to persuade people to understand and know Jesus. But how persuasive, how persuasive of, of a messenger can any of us be if we don't personally fear the Lord. If we're basically going through our life fearing the things of this world and not fearing the Lord. If I'm basically going through my life worried so much about the opinions of others that I forsake the Lord's concerns, if I go through my life basically consumed with the things that this world is afraid of and tells me to be afraid of, Instead of realizing that I'm really just supposed to live my life with great reverence for the Lord, the genuine fear of the Lord, not walking in the fear of the things of this world, if I walk in the fear of this world, I'm not going to be a very persuasive messenger. And I think my life is going to reflect that. But if I walk in the fear of the Lord, genuinely revering him, genuinely respecting him, I think that's a very persuasive kind of testimony. And Paul wanted the Corinthians, and he wanted all the people that would ultimately read this portion of Scripture, to know the Lord deeply. But he also knew that for, for, for the Lord to be able to effectively, ultimately use you and I as the kind of testimony that we're meant to be in the midst of this world, we need to deny our worldly fears, and we need to replace them with the fear of the Lord. And so you have Paul encouraging us to do that in this portion of scripture, but he goes on a little bit further when you look at verses 12 and 13. And there he encourages us as an act of spiritual maturity to deny your temptation to boast. And look at how he phrases it here in verse 12 and then verse 13. He says, we are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Let's pause there for a second. It's interesting that Paul's kind of, uh, you know, he's kind of looking at his day-to-day life, and he's realizing there's some people that think he's crazy. And uh, there's other people that might even say he was in his right mind, and he's kind of debating this for the Corinthians. Well, has anyone ever called you crazy? You ever had a season of your life where people called you crazy? crazy, or a moment in time uh, where, where people called you crazy. I remember when I was in my, my mid-teens, and I was trying to figure out who I was. I was trying to figure out what my life was all about. I decided at one point that that's what I wanted my friends to say about me. I wanted them to, th- to say and to think, and I, I, I would take this as a compliment when they would do it, that I was crazy, and not crazy in the sense that I was insane or you know mentally unbalanced, although that could be argued, but crazy in the sense that if something daring was going to happen, that I was going to be the one that would step in and do it. The type of person that would take the challenge, the type of person that would take the dare, um, I wanted to be that guy. And I, want, I remember at one point I thought, you know what, that's what I want my reputation to be. I still remember, you know, I pulled a lot of pranks and did a lot of things during that time, my favorite being when I filled a, a, a friend's locker with a bunch of baking soda and then rigged a bottle of vinegar to open or to dump when he opened up his locker. And he did that the next morning. I rigged it before we left school the day before he opened up his locker and uh, it dumped vinegar all on that baking soda and then foamed out into the hallway. And I didn't see it happen, but I smelled it as soon as I walked into the school. You could smell the vinegar. And I remember thinking to myself, it's like, all right, I pulled that off. And then I thought, next step, don't get caught. And so this is what I used to coach myself with a reminder, because you're tempted if something like that works. You, you want the credit from your friends, but you also know if you don't tell anyone you did it, you don't get caught. <laughs> so I, I used to say to myself, it's like, don't boast. Don't boast. Don't say anything. People might think it's you, but they will have no proof if you don't tell anyone. So I didn't tell anyone. So now I wonder, you know, it's, it's been a few decades, so... <laughs> I've started to tell people in recent years that it actually was me, because I think the statute of limitations on that is uh, finished. I don't think that my my high school is going to revoke my diploma at this point. I think the matter has been cleaned up. But the point being, that's not the kind of crazy that this passage is speaking about, right? the kind of crazy that we in our day-to-day life sometimes try to embrace. But when you look at this portion of Scripture, I don't think that's kind of crazy. Now, that is the kind of crazy that, that some people would look at Paul and kind of accuse him of. There were people that thought Paul was crazy. People thought he was out of his mind. People thought he was slightly, maybe more than slightly, fanatical. I actually think it's interesting when you look at Acts chapter 26, verses 24 and 25, where it, it recalls a moment where Paul received that kind of accusation. It says, And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. And it's kind of interesting when you look at Paul's life, he was very intense. He was very passionate about making the gospel of Jesus Christ known throughout this world, wherever the Lord gave him an open door to proclaim it, because he was so thankful for what Jesus had done in his life. And he was so thankful for the fact that Christ forgave him. He was so thankful for the fact that Christ had redeemed him. And he wanted that good news. He wanted that divine gift that he'd received from Jesus to be shared with as many people as possible, even those who hated him, even those Who thought he was crazy. And so Paul would proclaim it, and the Lord gave him the opportunity to proclaim the gospel in front of audiences, like in front of Festus and other uh, political leaders of the time and great leaders of of that era. And, And many of them just thought Paul was out of his mind. And I wonder for us, what keeps us from openly sharing the message of the gospel with other people? You know what one of the challenges that we face in this world that I think somewhere along the way we really need to start wrestling with? We want to be liked, right? Now, I know some of you are like, no, not me. I know you don't, all right? But most of us, right, 97% of us want to be liked, right? Can I just admit to you that that's something that I care about? I kind of like if people like me, and I feel kind of bad if they don't. I think, what did I do? You know, I I was even talking with friends the other day. I was talking to them about somebody that really can't stand me, And I was I was like, I don't know why they act that way toward me, because I feel like I've always been nice to them. And uh, we were kind of wrestling with it. And I think sometimes as believers, we really want to be liked. And I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that as long as that doesn't turn into an idol that gets in our way of proclaiming the gospel of Christ. Because I'm glad that the Apostle Paul didn't go through his era during that time wanting to be liked more than he wanted to proclaim the truth. So I like being friendly to people, and I like when people are friendly to me. But one of the things we have to wrestle with is what does it look like to be friendly even with those that might think we're out of our mind? What does it look like to genuinely share your life and the gospel with people that kind of think you're crazy because you believe this stuff? And this is something that over the course of my life, I've really been asking the Lord to give me wisdom and insight on because I don't want to be one of those people that just stays kind of locked up in a cubicle, not really interacting with people who don't share my faith or share my beliefs. I want to interact with people that come from a different perspective, and I want to not just interact on a surface level. I want to have genuine friendships with people who don't necessarily think the same way I think about all things. And I think the Apostle Paul was kind of like that too. You know, He wanted people to know Jesus, but here's the thing. This is what I've discovered throughout life. You don't really have a good opportunity to have deeper level conversations with people if you don't take the time to be a friend. And so one of the things that I've learned over over the years is that it's worth investing in all kinds of friendships for the sake of the friendship itself and for the greater goal of just being somebody who has the opportunity to testify to the fact that Jesus has changed our lives. And here's the other thing. I'm kind of done arguing about stuff like that with people. I don't know if you guys like arguing. I really don't. I've decided I just don't feel like arguing. So if people want to believe what I believe, great, I hope you do. But I also, I just don't have it in me to argue about it with people anymore. But if anyone, wants, if anyone wants to know the reason for the hope that I have within me, I'm very happy to tell you about it. And can I tell you that when I've taken that posture... And when I've realized that that's something that the Lord kind of put in my heart as kind of an opportunity creator, I I kid you not, over the past couple years, I've had more opportunity to share my faith with other people than I ever remember having. And the Lord's allowed me to develop friendships with, with so many people. I'm just like, wow, I'm so grateful that they're in my life, even though they don't necessarily come from the same perspective. And I think it's all on purpose. I think that everybody that the Lord brings in your life is on purpose and that you're supposed to testify about the hope that you have in Jesus Christ because I think God wants them to have that hope too. Wouldn't you agree? He does. He wants them to possess that hope. And he doesn't just want them to wait till their last day to find it. And here you have the Apostle Paul. He's talking about this with people. He's sharing about this. They think he's out of his mind, but he's like, you know what? I'm still going to share. And he doesn't boast. He doesn't brag. And he's not trying to make himself out to be something that he's not. He recognizes his limitations. He recognizes his struggles. He's willing to admit these things. But it doesn't hinder him from being willing to share the gospel. But I think many people are afraid to share the gospel because they don't know how others might perceive them. And I think there are other people that go through this life basically just looking for the approval of others, however they will get it. Do you ever meet somebody that tries to find the approval of others through bragging and through boasting? Does it really work? I think people think it works when they're doing it, otherwise they wouldn't do it. But do you ever find that some people really think that works, and and, and sometimes they start boasting about very nonsensical things? Two months ago, I was having a conversation with somebody, and I kid you not, this was the essence of the conversation from his side. He was boasting to me about how tall he is. Like he had something to do with it. And I remember thinking to myself, now, if there's a secret to doing this, please let me know, because I would like, I would like some, I keep waiting, i turned 45 recently, and I think, like, is there like a 45-year-old growth spurt? I'm waiting for that, if that's a thing. I don't think it's a thing. But I literally had a conversation with a grown man who boasted about how tall he was. And I was like, I don't know, I don't know what to do with this conversation, And I actually got a little snippy with him, and I didn't mean to, but I congratulated him on winning the genetic lottery. I said, congratulations, you've won the genetic lottery. And in my mind, I thought, you shouldn't have said that. You're allowed to think it, but you shouldn't have said it. It actually snuck out of my mouth. But here's the thing. What is this world focused on? This world's focused on outward appearances. This world is focused on prestige. This world is focused on badges and medals. This world's focused on just basically having titles or or accolades or or things that fall into into that sphere. But what's the Lord focused on? He's looking at our hearts. He's looking at what's going on within us. And He knows what's truly motivating us. His glory is to be the chief aim of our lives. And as we honor that calling... Let's deny our temptation to boast in outward appearances. And that's what the Apostle Paul was trying to illustrate here for the Corinthians. There's one other thing that he brings up in this portion of Scripture, and this is where I want to finish today. And I hope this is something that will stick in our minds and stick in our hearts because it's very consequential. When you look at at, um, what it tells us here in verses 14 and 15 of 2 Corinthians 5, here we're encouraged to deny the desire to live for ourselves. Deny the desire to live for yourself. It says in verse 14 and then in 15, it says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves. Let me read that again. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves. But for him who for their sake died and was raised. What's the nicest thing anyone's ever done for you? Think about that for just a second. What's the nicest thing anyone has ever done for you? Anyone here uh, familiar with the name Sam Weish? Do you know the name Sam Weish? long time ago, Bud knows, a few other people know. Sam Weish, he played for the Redskins for a time, then he played for the Bengals, and then he actually went on to coach the Bengals, and uh, just a few years ago, uh, Sam Weiss turned 70. And when he was 70 years old, it was discovered that he needed a heart transplant. And uh, he was initially told there was nothing available for him, he, it, that he needed this heart transplant, and he would die if he did not get it, but there was nothing available for him. And then, soon after, a heart did become available to him. And in a six-hour surgery, that transplant was made. And so afterward, he was asked about it. And that's certainly uh, an interesting moment to have a conversation with somebody. And this is what he said when he was asked about it. I'm just going to read his quote directly. He he, he asked how he felt about what had just taken place. And he says, you feel revived. Then he said, you feel like you've been spared for a reason. And now I'm in the search to figure out what that reason is, what God has given to me to have another chance at life, which is exactly what's just happened. And he also said that he hopes at some point to be able to meet the donor's family so he could express the depth of his thanks if the Lord allows him to do that. So what's the nicest thing that anyone's ever done for you? I mean, I think Sam Weiss would look at that and in many respects point to that, but when you really think about it on the spiritual level, the answer to that question, the nicest thing that someone's ever done for you, it's answered in the passage that we just read. Jesus Christ died for us. He took on flesh, he lived a sinless life, and then he died on the cross because of my sin and your sin. Scripture tells us then he rose from the grave and he lives forever, and he died for us that we too might live. And that this new life, this second chance that we've been given through Jesus Christ will not be lived selfishly. We've been given it, you know our old life. It was a selfish life. But this new life that we've been given through Jesus Christ is not a life that should be lived selfishly. We're told here that the calling on your life and my life or the way that we can say thank you is by living for him who died for us. That's what the Apostle Paul is trying to get across here. Selfishness is the mindset of this world. It should never be the mindset of those who've been blessed with new life in Christ, even though it's the mindset of this world and even though it's preached at us from a lot of worldly sources or perspectives. But our hearts and our minds need to grab hold of what Jesus has truly done for us because that produces a change. And so Paul's talking about that here. And basically what Jesus has done is he's taken selfish dead men and women like you and I were, and he makes us selfless people who are alive forever in him. And he also changes what compels us. He also changes what motivates us. We're no longer c- controlled by the passions of our old nature. We're controlled by the love of Christ. Again, that's what Paul's talking about here, right? Where he says, you know, um, for the love of Christ controls us. For the love of Christ controls us. We are compelled. We are motivated. We're controlled by the love of Christ. We're no longer controlled by anger. We're no longer controlled by the need to be right. Do You ever go through a season of your life where you just needed to be right? Some of us is, is the season right now. <laughs> Where we just need to be right. I really wrestled with that at one point in my life where I thought, you know, I need to, I I felt the need to be right all the time. Somewhere along the way, I was like, you know what? This isn't really producing helpful fruit. We don't need to be controlled by a political philosophy or a social philosophy. We don't need to be controlled by fear. Christ's love is now the driving force in our life. And think about the areas of your life that are impacted by the love of Christ. The love of Christ impacts the way we interact with one another and share life together. Wouldn't you say that the love of Christ impacts the way you and I interact? The way we interact with one another as a believer in Christ? It certainly does. Think the love of Christ impacts the way we speak to our spouse or the way we speak to our kids? If you're compelled and motivated by the love of Christ, you talk to people differently. I think the love of Christ impacts the kind of thoughts that we, are, uh, uh, that we allow our minds to dwell on, you know, the things that we allow to take root there. I think the love of Christ impacts the what-if scenarios that we used to allow our minds to dwell on and then fear. You know, I remember going through a stretch of time where I was not sleeping very well at night. And a lot of that came back to certain things that were what-if scenarios that were kind of sparking a high degree of fear in my mind. And I thought, you know what? I need to get back to a reminder of the love of Christ. And if Christ loves me like he says he does, I don't need to go to bed at night trying to control things that are outside of my control. Those what-if scenarios that I was fearful of are things that didn't even happen. So why waste your life fearful of things that aren't even in God's plan for you? I think the love of Christ impacts the negative self-talk that we, at times, are uh, attempting to preach to ourselves, but it then counteracts that and helps us to find our sense of identity and our sense of worth in Jesus Christ instead of the negative labels that we might try to uh, adopt for ourselves. These are things that used to be controlled by the world's agenda. But now the love of Christ is controlling us. The love of Christ is compelling us. This world's agenda, you know what this world's agenda produces? Produces four D's. Death, disease, discouragement, and despair. That's what this world's agenda produces. Death, disease, discouragement, and despair. And right now some of you are saying, well, like, the disease part, how does that not come about? That's a separate conversation. But that's what this world's agenda, I tell you what, follow the world's agenda and see what happens, right? Death, disease, discouragement, and despair, without a doubt. But now we're controlled by Christ. We have a hope that is not anchored in our circumstances. Our hope is anchored in him. So let me say this as we finish up this morning. When I look at what Paul says here in this portion of Scripture, this idea of not living for yourself, but ultimately living for Christ, I think it's a beautiful way to live. I think it's a persuasive way to live as well. If you and I are changed by Christ, we're living in respect of God, revering and respecting our Heavenly Father. If We're not boasting in outward appearances, but focusing on Christ's work in our hearts as we submit ourselves to His love controlling us. I think his mission for us, his mission for our lives in this world, I think it'll, be, it'll become very obvious. I think it'll be completed. And I think our lives will serve as a very powerful and persuasive testimony to others who need his presence in their lives as well. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the wisdom that you give to us through your word. We know, Lord, that Naturally speaking, when we look at these things, these aren't the type of things that, that humanly speaking we would want to a- a adopt in, into our life. Most of the time, apart from you, we were going in a direction that was not healthy. It was consumed with worldliness. We were pursuing this world's ambitions and thinking that somehow it would produce good things in our lives. But Lord, those that spend their lives chasing after the things of this world ultimately can testify at the end that it didn't produce good fruit. And so, Lord, we don't want to be men and women who go through our lives in this world producing bad fruit or adopting bad fruit into our lives or adopting a worldly mindset. We want to be people who deny ourselves so that we could say yes to you. And so, Lord, this whole idea of denying ourselves is basically getting out of the way so that you can do an amazing work. So we stop idolizing our preferences and begin submitting ourselves to your will. Lord, that's a struggle for every single one of us, regardless of how long we've followed you. That's a struggle for every single one of us, regardless of what state of maturity we're at right now. But Lord, we're grateful for the fact that all throughout the course of our life, your Holy Spirit is doing a work within us. And he is producing holiness in our lives. He's helping us to see and understand the truth of your word. He's helping us to put your word into practice. He's helping us to actually do the things that you've called us to do. Lord, we know that throughout the course of our life, It can be very easy for us to start to really confuse the mission that you've given us with the mission that this world wants us to pursue. It can be very easy for us to start to boast in our abilities or boast in our outward appearance or boast in our accolades. But Lord, your calling on our life is so much deeper than the worldly things that at one point we once embraced. And so Lord, if there's any area of our life that we could identify where those things are starting to to creep into our value system and and creep into our perspective, we pray, Lord, that we would look at these things and recognize them for what they are, that that we would not pursue things that at one point were our idols, that we would crucify those things and that we would give ourselves over to you completely. Lord, you know each of the things that we wrestle with. You know each of the concerns that are on our minds right now. And so, Lord, I just pray for your strength for each and every one of us gathered here, each person that's here in this building, each person watching along with us on our live stream, each person that might access the recording of this later in the week, that you'd give us your strength, that you'd give us your wisdom, and that you'd give us a strong desire to stop idolizing our preferences and to begin living for you because you're the one who's given us new life, just like Sam Weish was expressing his thankfulness on the new lease on life that you'd given him. He was trying to figure out how you wanted him to use the remaining years that you gave him. Lord, we pray that that would be the same type of thing that we'd come before you and pray about. And that as we follow you, as we walk in obedience, as the expression of genuine faith, that we would have great clarity about your will and that we would pursue the things that you've placed in our minds and our hearts to pursue for your glory. Lord, thank you so much for these challenges from your word today, and thank you for the privilege to be able to start off our week together giving you praise and worshiping you together. We commit ourselves to you now, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.